This morning, uh, we have a special guest speaker, Joseph Ryan. So the way it came about, just so you know, this is the way God works. It's so wonderful. Is um, a couple that I met in Germany that uh, were attending our church in Germany that I also baptized, uh, had the privilege of baptizing them, just on fire. Just a great couple. And uh, Ashley calls me up and says, hey, you got to have this guy speak at your church, Joseph Ryan. And I'm like, okay. You know, he's with Chosen People Ministry. All right. You know, I, I never actually heard of Chosen People Ministry. But after Ashley called, Saturday night at, I think it's 5 to 5.30 on CSN, there's a Chosen People Ministry program that I started listening to. I'm like, wow, that's, that's really interesting. And they, they uh, talk about Jewish things, Jewish holidays they're talking about right now. But anyway, this other guy calls me, Jerry, out of the blue. I don't know who he is. He says, uh, so we got your name from Ashley. And I think he's talking about my daughter. Uh, and you want uh, Joseph to speak at your church. I'm like, I don't remember this conversation at all. And so we talked and I'm like, okay, all right. Ashley and Amir in, in, uh, from Germany now. Okay, yeah, Joseph chosen. Yeah, it's all coming back to me. So let's do it. And so that's how it came about. And I've spent the last uh, evening with Joseph, just a great guy. You know, you know how it is when the Lord just knits your heart together with a brother right away. And it's like you've been lifelong friends. That's the way I feel about Joseph. So very pleased to have Joseph Ryan from Chosen People Ministry uh, share with us today. Go ahead and come on up, Joseph. And uh, for the few of us that are here, let's give him a, a round of applause. Yeah, there you go. Is my mic hot? Yeah. Boker Tov. That's good morning in Hebrew. Boker Tov, not broken toe. So it sounds similar. Good to be here this morning. Um, with all the, the tech back there, I thought, oh, am I gonna have am I gonna have slides? Or are we gonna have to go old school and actually, you know, break break out our Bibles again? Let's do it. But then I was thinking, even even this is not old school, old school. Old school would be to come up here and wrap out a, pull out a full-on Torah scroll where you got one per synagogue and that's all you had to learn from. And thank God we got, we got our, our Bibles. We can all dig in, amen? So uh, uh, when you came in, you should have got one of these little uh, blue brochures. Uh, this is, tells a little bit about our ministry if you're going to just kind of bring that out. And you can take this home and Look through it uh, later and find out more about our ministry. I won't be talking too much about it. Uh, but inside, there's a picture in the middle of me and my family. Shares a little bit of my testimony, how I came to the Lord, uh, and how God called me as a, as a Gentile guy into Jewish ministry. Um, so I'm a full-time missionary with chosen people. Full-time missionary focused on reaching the Jewish people with the gospel. And... Uh, I started with CPM in, in New York, so started my family and my ministry and served out there for eight years. Uh, we had two children, uh, both born and raised in, in Brooklyn, and um, it was good ministry, uh, huge need. There's about close to three million Jewish people in the greater New York area, counting all the boroughs, um, and there's 15 million Jewish people in the world. 
3 million, up 3 million of them are just in the New York area. Outside of Israel, that's, that's the Holy Land in the United States. And uh, less than 1% of the Jewish people, a fraction of 1%, uh, believe in Jesus as their Messiah. So they are very much an unreached people group. And we were just a minority of believers um, trying to make an impact and a difference in, in really in Jewish New York. But now we're back in uh, Southern California. Uh, I'm focused, got a little new focus as a missionary uh, that I'm going to share with you all this morning. So um, we're going we're gonna to learn a bit from the Word of God. We're going to learn about the, uh, the Jewish holidays. And I want to leave you with uh, an, a ministry opportunity to engage in, in bringing the gospel to the Jewish people. So, uh, so that's what we're going to do, going to do this morning. So if you would pray with me and we'll jump in. Father, I thank you for this, uh, this time now to dig into your word uh, with my brothers and sisters, Lord. I pray that you would uh, open our minds, open our hearts, that you would teach us by your Holy Spirit um, and in, impress your heart uh, upon ours uh, regarding, um, regarding these things in your word. Lord, bless our time now. We pray, B'Shem Yeshua Meshicheinu. In the name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. So, anybody here familiar with Chosen People Ministries? Ever heard of us? Besides Pastor, like a day or two ago. Um, we've been around for a little time. Uh, we were founded in 1894. So, we're one of the oldest and largest mission organizations to the Jewish people. Uh, we kind of we fly under the radar. Um, have you ever heard of Jews for Jesus? Okay. So the history there is that we've been around for 127 years, I think it is. But in the 60s, I think the 60s or the 70s, one of our staff members, a guy named Moise Rosen, he uh, was in San Francisco and he was handing out these gospel tracts and uh, he, they were calling him a, a Jew for Jesus. And he broke off and started his own ministry, Jews for Jesus. So that's kind of the the history of the two uh, organizations. But we were founded in 1894 by a, a rabbi from Hungary uh, who came to New York and he heard the gospel being preached in Yiddish by a missionary to the Jews and particularly Daniel chapter 9 that is the prophecy about the timing of when the Messiah was to come was very influential in bringing Rabbi Kohn uh, to faith. And you can imagine a rabbi embracing Jesus, the one that's forbidden, the one they're not even supposed to go near, embracing him as, as the Messiah. Uh, it cost him a lot. He was persecuted by his people. He was persecuted by Christians. Uh, but he kept on and, and uh, he just, I found the Messiah and he shared that message with all, all of his, um, the Jewish people in New York. And that's our history. That's our founding. So for, for over 125 years, our heart is to give the message back to the Jewish people. Um, and uh, a lot of people think uh, when I come up to speak that I'm Jewish. I'm not. I'm a Gentile. I'm a goy with joy. Uh, so I'm a Gentile missionary to the Jewish people. And um, so our mission is, is to reach the Jewish people for Jesus and also to help others do the same. So when you think about missions... Um, you, you generally think like Africa, right? 
uh, uh, Europe, South America, the 1040 window, the Middle East, the Muslims need Jesus. But how often do you think, well, the Jewish people need Jesus? Uh, there's not a lot of missionaries to the Jewish people, but there are a lot of Christians who are missionaries who we can equip to share the message with your Jewish friends, Jewish neighbors, Jewish coworkers. Anybody here have Jewish friends, family? Yeah, see, what, half, half, half the congregation this morning? So that's part, of our, that's part of our calling and mission is to equip Christians to reach uh, Jewish people. And one of the ways we do that is through teaching on God's calendar, uh, the so-called Jewish holidays. And understanding the Jewish holidays can help us as Christians to build bridges with our Jewish neighbors and to share the good news with them. So we're going to learn today about the gospel in the Feast of Israel. And as we do so, it's my belief that the, um, that the biblical holidays, that they're, they look to the past, right? They look backwards to what God did in the past. They're historical, but they're also prophetic. They look forward to the future and what God's going to do uh, in the future. So they're, they look back and they look forward. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Leviticus 23 this morning. And if you ever get lost about God's calendar and the holidays, Leviticus 23 is where we find uh, God's calendar. Um, there are lots of holidays out there, lots of religious holidays, lots of Christian holidays. Uh, but if we want to know God's holidays, God's calendar, here it is in Leviticus 23. So as you turn there, Leviticus 23, the title of the message this morning is Dates with God. Dates with God. So in Leviticus 23, we learn about the dates that God has set to meet with his people. And many people refer to these dates as the Feast of Israel. Have you heard that expression? The Feast of Israel? But I think that phrase right there creates a problem and an unfortunate barrier to many believers who today who might say, what are the, okay, the feasts of Israel, what do the feasts of Israel have to do with me? I'm not Jewish. Well, the Bible never calls them the feasts of Israel. And when we refer to them that way, I think we automatically exclude ourselves as Gentile Christians from these special dates, and we, we rob ourselves of an opportunity to fellowship with God, to be with Him, and to learn more about Him, and to move deeper in our relationship with him. And I think it's the Father's heart to meet with his people, Jew and Gentile, those who believe, on these dates, on his calendar, and to spend time in these holidays. So to be clear, I'm not saying that, uh, that we're being disobedient if we don't keep the feast, right? Paul says if you, you know, don't argue and quibble over dates and holidays and, and what day you worship. You know, keep the focus where it needs to be. So I'm not, I'm not saying that we have to keep these feasts. I'm not saying that we're disobedient if we don't keep these feasts or that they're mandatory. I'm just saying that they're an opportunity. They're an invitation, I think, from the Lord. And if we don't take it, we're missing out on an opportunity to learn more about him. So, so that's, uh, that's how I want to kind of phrase this this morning. So as we look at God's calendar... Here in Leviticus 23, I think we'll find out that God is speaking to us through these dates. 
And he's telling us that he loves us, that he wants to have a relationship with us, and that he set apart these special dates on his calendar to be with him. So we're going to look at these dates, but before we do, um, first we need to kind of consider how, the relation, how this relationship with God works. So uh, please look with me at the first two verses of Leviticus 23. Next slide. When we look at the first two verses, notice that God is the initiator in the relationship. He's the one who sets the dates with his people. So we read in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of Israel. No, it doesn't say that, right? The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. So please notice that God is the initiator in the relationship. He's the one who sets the dates. And in verse 2, God says twice that these are his feasts. They're the feasts of the Lord. So technically, they're not the feasts of Israel, but they're the feasts of the Lord. And if they're his feasts, what does that mean? That means he can invite whoever he wants uh, to have dates with himself. So my proposal this morning is that these dates are not just for Israel, but they're for you and me as well. They're for all believers in Jesus who want to celebrate and learn and worship the Lord on these dates. So let's take some time to survey these dates. It's going to be, uh, we're not going to dig in deep and go through every verse. This is going to be more of a, a big picture flyover and survey because there's, there's a lot. Uh, we can drill down and spend weeks on each date, but we're just going to get an overview uh, this morning and learn big picture what God might be saying to us through these dates. Next slide. So let's take a bird's eye look at God's calendar and we see that there, there are three dates in the spring and there are three dates in the fall. And if you glance down at your Bible, if you have a print Bible this morning, you're going you're gonna to see that um, they're all there in Leviticus 23 and, and usually you'll, you're going to have a title and you'll see that the very first date in God's calendar is the Sabbath in verse 3. So the Sabbath is a weekly date, and then all the rest that we see here are annual dates on the calendar. So you got three in the spring, three in the fall, and you have the Sabbath. So how many does that make total? Seven. We have seven dates, and the Feast of Tabernacles is the seventh and final date on the calendar. And we'll draw out the significance of that number a little bit later. So as we look at the progression of the holidays here in this chapter and we zoom out and we think about them big picture, we'll discover that the order of these holidays lays out the gospel. It lays out God's prophetic plan to redeem the world through his Messiah. But we really need the whole counsel of God. We need the Old and the New Testament to see it most fully. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So... If we just stop and think about it and look back at the first coming of Jesus, let me ask a few questions. First question, what day on the calendar did Jesus die? What holiday was it? It was Passover, the very first one in the spring. You see here beginning in verse 5. 
so the first annual date in the spring, the beginning of God's plan of salvation, uh, beginning there is the Passover. So do you think it was a coincidence that Jesus died on the very day of Passover? I, I don't think so. God could have chosen any day in the year to have the Lamb of God slain for us, but he chose the Passover. And in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul refers to Jesus as Messiah, our Passover. So the Passover was, it was looking back at how God delivered Israel uh, by the blood of the Lamb applied to the doorposts in Egypt. But it was pointing forward to a greater redemption to come by the blood of the Lamb, the Son of God, who would die for our sins. So God, God set this date. He set the Passover appointment on his calendar, and he brought it to fulfillment in the death of Jesus on the very day of Passover. And then three days later comes the next date on God's calendar, beginning in verse 9. And that's the holiday of first fruits. And this holiday, on this holiday of first fruits, uh, a, day, uh, 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 a portion of the harvest, the, the Jewish people in that day, they were, they were agricultural society. They were working in the fields. They were harvesting. They had a couple different harvests. And on first fruits, a portion of the harvest was offered to God as a first fruits offering. And this first fruits portion was accepted by God as if the entire harvest had been offered and accepted. So that's what it meant historically, but prophetically, three days after Jesus died on Passover, what happened? He rose from the dead on this very holiday. And that's why Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, that Jesus became the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, so too we will be raised in his likeness. So again, coincidence that Jesus was raised on first fruits? I, I don't think so. God's giving us these dates to point us to his son. So those are the first two. And then finally, 50 days later, we come to the final spring date on God's calendar, as you see there beginning in verse 15. And this holiday in Hebrew is called Shavuot, which means weeks. And in Greek, it's called Pentecost. That's the term we use more in the church. Pentecost means 50 because it's 50 days after Passover. So this is, a, again, kind of a harvest festival. But in traditional Judaism today, this holiday is celebrated as the day that God gave Israel the Torah at Mount Sinai. So think about that. When Jewish people today celebrate Shavuot or what we call Pentecost, they're, they're celebrating the fact that this is when God gave us the Torah, the Word of God, at Mount Sinai. So think about that as we read the New Testament, prophetically in Acts chapter 2. We read that God gave the Holy Spirit on this holiday. Jesus died, he rose, he ascended, and on 50 days after his death, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those apostles in the upper room on this very day of uh, weeks, Shavuot, Pentecost. So what was happening here, God fulfilled this holiday by taking the gift of the Torah and taking it inward, writing the Torah on our hearts through the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And this was the very act of God that was promised to come with the new covenant that was foretold by Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 31. And it was fulfilled in Jesus the Messiah on this day. So the death of Jesus on Passover inaugurated the new covenant. And 50 days later on the Feast of Weeks, the Holy Spirit was given. Again, was that coincidence? I don't think so. Let's go to the next slide. So we see here that all the spring feasts were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming. God put the dates on the calendar, and he was preparing us for his great salvation, declaring his love for us in the Messiah. Jesus died for our sins on Passover. He was raised for our justification on first fruits, And he sent the Holy Spirit on Shavuot to empower us to carry on the mission. So God set the appointments, and he showed up right on time. Now, we're going through these holidays, and uh, it's just a big-picture survey. But if you want to dig in a little bit more, if you forget everything I said, I brought some books that you can purchase afterward. And this one, Israel's Holy Days, it talks about all of them, the spring, the fall, and then there's a couple extras, Purim and Hanukkah. So uh, you can take a look at those uh, afterwards. So that's the spring fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. And then there's a long summer period before the uh, summer period of harvest before the fall uh, feasts. And that's what remains, and that's what we're going to focus on with the rest of our time this morning. So as we do so, I want to start by pointing out that the spring dates were fulfilled in Jesus' first coming, literally, on the dates, the very dates that were prescribed. And then this long harvest period where you're working the fields, and I believe that's what we've been experiencing for the last 2,000 years, taking the gospel to the nations, working in God's harvest, and then what's going to come is the fall feast. And that leaves me wondering, okay, now if Jesus fulfilled the spring feast in his first coming, literally on the days, and we know what those days are, what could that mean for the fall feast and his return? Doesn't it seem reasonable to think that the fall feast will be fulfilled in the same way, literally on the very days of the feasts? Now, I hear that myself, and I think, okay, Joseph, be careful. You don't want to set dates. You don't want to be dogmatic about this. But it's hard to escape the fact that what happened in the spring with those holidays and the fall being unfulfilled, you know, how's that going to work out? So I think we should be flexible. I think we should be open-minded, but it's really hard to escape the implications uh, of the literal fulfillment of Jesus' first coming and how the second coming might look. So I keep it in mind, but God can surprise us. Uh, But let's learn about these fall dates. Let's dig in and see what they're all about. And I'll tip my hat at the start by saying that I believe prophetically these fall dates, that they have significance prophetically both for the church and for Israel. And they'll be fulfilled in the second coming of Jesus. Next slide. So we're focusing on the fall now. And 
Um, we're actually uh, we're actually right now in the midst of these holidays. I'm not sure if you knew that. So um, Rosh Hashanah, uh, the first one, trumpets and atonement just passed, and the Feast of Tabernacles starts um, tonight. Actually, is the is the third in the fall. So Jewish people all over the world today uh, and this season are celebrating these days. And in the Jewish community, the fall dates are called the high holidays. Have you heard that expression before? It's the high holidays, and it's the holiest time of the year for uh, the Jewish people. And this season is a time of repentance and cleansing as the worshiper prepares himself to appear before his creator, who is the king and judge. And the goal of this whole period of the high holidays or the fall feasts the goal is to get your name written in the book of life at the end of the high holidays. So the rabbis say that God's judgment, as, as uh, we have to answer to our God, the rabbis say that God's judgment is rendered on trumpets, it's sealed on the Day of Atonement, and it's delivered on tabernacles. So let's survey these three dates. The first one there, beginning in verse 23, is trumpets. And the thing with God's word, especially the further back we go in the Old Testament, uh, the further we are away from our day, uh, sometimes you get, a, you get a very short command, and you got to understand it's God's people. Well, how do you fulfill this command? Um, all we have here for trumpets is two ver uh, a couple verses, 23 to 25. And all it says to do is to blow trumpets on this day. So what are we talking about here? Well, trumpets, uh, I think, is a, it's a shofar. It's a ram's horn. And I brought mine with me uh, this morning. So here's my shofar. Got mine from Israel, uh, my first time there. And what you do in the synagogue on trumpets is you blow your shofar a hundred times. We're not going to do a hundred today, but maybe we'll do a few. And uh, as you hear the trumpet sound, as you hear the shofar sound a hundred times on this day, it's a call to attention. It's a call to wake up. It's a call declaring that God, our King, He's coming. So it's a call to repentance and uh, on this holiday, we also eat uh, a special bread, a challah bread. Um, we, we do it every Friday night for the Sabbath, and it's, uh, you guys know what challah bread is? It's the kind of the twisted uh, egg bread. But on this holiday, it's changed into the, a round shape, and it looks like a crown, because again, it's reminding us that God is our, he's our king. We declare him as our, as our king and judge on this holiday. So this shofar blast is a call to repentance, and it's calling us to take a spiritual inventory of our hearts in preparation for the coming of our King. So do you want to hear what it sounds like, if I can do it? All right. So there, there are three sounds, three different sounds that uh, the shofar blower in the service, somebody will call out the three sounds, and they, they go like this. Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay. Take a breath. Now that last one is Takia Hagadol. It's the great shofar blast. And if you got some lungs, you really belt this long blast out uh, in the service. So as we hear that, what I think about is that's the sound that, that we're waiting for. That's the sound that signals the second coming of our King Jesus, the shofar blast. So trumpets is all about repentance. It's all about preparing for our king. Fortunately, we have some verses in the New Testament that I think uh, will help us with this. In 1 Corinthians 15, next slide. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says the future resurrection of believers will take place when? At the last trumpet. And what will happen? We will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed at the sound of the trumpet. Next. Also in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul speaks of the rapture of the church when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a, with a shout, a teruah, that's what we do on this holiday, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and we will be caught up in the clouds with the resurrected saints to meet the Lord in the air. So I think this is the prophetic significance of trumpets for us as believers today. Next. So that was trumpets. Let's go to the second date in the fall, and that's the Day of Atonement, as you see there beginning in verse 26. So the Day of Atonement, uh, in the days of the temple, when the temple stood, this was the day when the sins of the people were forgiven by the blood of another. And the blood of a goat was sacrificed in their place for their sins. And it's all laid out in Leviticus 16. Next. So what would happen? We're, we're, we're all familiar with this. The high priest, what would he do? He would cast lots for the two goats. One would be sacrificed as a sin offering to the Lord. And the other would be a scapegoat to make atonement upon it and let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. If we think about that prophetically, the high priest would lay his hands on that goat and he would confess the sins of the people and transfer them to that goat. And in the same way that the high priest would do that, we lay our hands on the head uh, uh, of Jesus and we transfer our sins to him. He is our substitute. He is our once for all final sacrifice for sins. Next slide. Paul declares in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, what? To be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's good news, friends. Jesus died as our substitute, paying for our sins and giving us his righteousness, his perfect record of having never sinned is credited to us through faith as if we never sinned. And therefore, because of this great work through the Messiah, we can enjoy relationship with the Holy God. So atonement is all about reconciliation with our King. So that's what it means for us. 
But what about Israel? What about Israel? That's a question I think we should ask as believers because God's not done with Israel. I think the Day of Atonement speaks of Israel's national salvation as a, as a people. By national, I don't mean just those Jewish people who live in Israel. I mean Jewish people all over the world as a, as a nation. The Day of Atonement speaks of Israel's national salvation to come when they will look upon the one who was pierced, recognize Jesus as their Messiah, and declare in faith the words of Isaiah 53, that he was wounded, he was pierced for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastening that brought us peace fell upon him, and by his stripes, by his bruisings, we are healed. I think there's coming a day in the future when Jewish people in mass are going to, God's going to reveal this to them, that Jesus is the one, and they're going to say these words from Isaiah 53. And we're praying for that day, and we labor for that day. So that's atonement. The third and final date in the fall is the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, beginning in verse 33. Next slide. So as we uh, look at Tabernacles, the final one, it's all about rejoicing. It's all about rejoicing. Next slide. So on Tabernacles, on this holiday, the people were commanded to take palm branches and to rejoice before the Lord for seven days. You see that in verse 40. And they were to do this while dwelling in booths or tabernacles, as you can see in verse 42. Now, why were they to do this? Well, verse 43 tells us, take the palm branches, dwell in a booth for seven days, rejoice before the Lord, verse 43, why? That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths, looking in the past, when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So I find it interesting that here God connects the final date on his calendar, Tabernacles, with the first date on his calendar, Passover, when he brought them out of Egypt. And I think in that, the lesson for us is that we can have fellowship with God in Tabernacles and rejoice in his presence only because our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. We can't just, we can't skip that. We can't just go to tabernacles and fellowship and rejoice before the Lord without the shedding of the blood and by faith accepting that. So God connects these, these two are connected in this one verse, the first and last holiday. So the theme of tabernacles is rejoicing and we're rejoicing that we've been cleansed through the blood of the Lamb and now, because of that, God can now tabernacle or dwell or fellowship with his people. So on this feast day, we, we build temporary booths or tabernacles. Um, we celebrate this in, in our home. So right now we, we have a sukkah, a booth set up, just made of uh, two-by-fours from Home Depot, and it's kind of rickety and it's temporary. Um, we set it up last year for the first time, doing it myself, and and I got a picture in the mail from our HOA. With a, it was a picture of our sukkah 
It says you have an unauthorized uh, structure, you know. It's kind of funny, but it said it's not a permanent structure. We're not doing an addition on our house. This is a flimsy uh, temporary structure that we're going to take down after the holiday. But it's temporary because we're declaring that life is temporary. And it's pointing to a more permanent tabernacle to come in the new Jerusalem when God again will dwell with his people. Next slide. We see in Revelation 21 that the Apostle John describes a vision that's future to us. And he says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So tabernacles is the seventh and final holiday on God's calendar. And it's a seven-day feast that takes place in the seventh month. And seven in the Bible is, a, is the number of completion. There were seven days of creation. It's the number of completion. So tabernacles is the completion of all things. It's the culmination of the harvest and all things prophetically that God is doing. It's, it's the wedding feast. It's the messianic banquet to come. It's the kingdom, and the theme is all about rejoicing with God. Next slide. And prophetically, tabernacles, I think also, it anticipates the restoration of Israel and the return of Jesus as her king. Zechariah 14 speaks of the future messianic kingdom when Jesus will return. You know, often, I know we're good Bible students. Calvary Chapel focuses on the word of God. Um, so, so we're strong in the scriptures, right? But there are a lot of kind of wishy-washy understanding of scripture. And people think we're going to, Christians think we're going to go to heaven. Some, we're going to go in the clouds somewhere. And it's this very vague kind of picture of heaven. No, God is going to come back down here. And he's going to set up his kingdom here. And uh, it's going to be amazing. So prophetically, I think Tabernacles anticipates the restoration of Israel and the return of King Jesus. Um, next slide. So Zechariah 14 speaks of this future when Jesus will return to Jerusalem. And he says, it says, it shall come to pass. So this is a day in the future when uh, the Jewish people are back in the land, they're in the land of Israel, and the nations are going to come against them to try to destroy them, and God's going to defend her and fight them off. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, what are they going to do? They shall go up from year to year to worship the king. Who's the king? They're going to come worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So Tabernacles points to the future restoration of all things, including the restoration of Israel to her King Jesus. Paul says in Romans chapter 11 that in the future there's coming a day, this is future to us, there's coming a day that all Israel will be saved. And uh, I think I said in the beginning that, that today the Jewish people are very much an unreached people group. Um, they, they haven't heard 
the gospel presented in a way that makes sense to them, uh, if they even are focused, if there's even a focus to reach them. So less than 1% believe in Jesus today. But Paul says there's coming a day when all Israel will be saved. So something's going to happen between less than 1% and all Israel, and I think it's going to be dramatic, and I think we have, we have a role in that, what God is doing. So national Israel, the ethnic Jewish people in the future, will be saved through faith in Jesus, the Messiah. So it's, it's hard for me to see because we, we labor in trying to bring the gospel to Jewish people, and it's hard, and it's challenging, um, and uh, we're just laying, laying seeds and trying to move them from really hostile to semi-hostile to, well, this is not too bad, and move them along the scale. Um, to just think of there's going to be this move of the Holy Spirit amongst the Jewish people, and they're just going to turn to him in faith. That's going to be amazing. But Paul says it's coming. So knowing that it's there in Scripture gives me hope to just keep, keep pressing on. That this day is coming, and God's going to do it, but he's not going to do it alone, and we're part of that solution. So the fall feasts point prophetically to this future at the second coming of Jesus. Next slide. So there we go. Let's just uh, summarize the fall feast. So to summarize, at the sound of the trumpet, what's going to happen? I believe the church will be raptured. And simultaneously, that trumpet sound is God's call to Israel to repent and to prepare for her king. And when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and the church is raptured, as Paul talks about, God will turn again to Israel to fulfill his promises to her. And at the trumpet, Israel will look upon the one who was pierced and mourn and believe in Jesus as her Messiah. And a fountain of cleansing will be opened up for their sins, Zechariah 13. And I think this is Israel's national day of atonement. And when Israel repents and believes, she will be cleansed. And that will set up the final holiday, the Feast of Tabernacles, where the king will return and tabernacle with his people in Jerusalem. Theologians refer to this as the, as the millennial kingdom or the thousand-year thousand reign of King Jesus on earth. And he'll rule from a restored Jewish nation, fulfilling all the promises to Israel because not everything's been completed. A lot has been fulfilled, but there are promises to Israel that are left unfulfilled that will be fulfilled in the second coming. So as you can see, the restoration of Israel is key to the second coming of Jesus. And in fact, I think Jesus, Jesus said so himself. Before he went to the cross, you know, we call it Passion Week. The beginning of that was Palm Sunday. They're laying down the palm branches, declaring him as king. But at the end of the week, he was crucified on Passover. But before, before he was crucified, he's there in Jerusalem and he weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over her and he says, Jerusalem, you shall see me no more until you say, Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. In effect, Jesus was saying that he won't return and establish his kingdom in Jerusalem until 
Israel repents and believes in him as the one sent by God, as the Messiah. So I think the, the fall feasts have significance both for us as believers and for Israel. So for believers today, the fall feasts are God's prearranged dates to, to fellowship with us. And he's inviting us to stop what we're doing and to meet with him at trumpets and take a spiritual inventory on where we at before the Lord. And to stop what we're doing and meet with him on the Day of Atonement and consider the price paid for our sins. And to stop what we're doing and meet with him at tabernacles and rejoice, rejoice that our sins have been forgiven and that we can have we have peace with God through the blood of the Lamb. That's what the fall feast means for us as believers today. But we can't forget the Jewish people and what it means for them. So for Israel, the Jewish people, we pray for the restoration of, of the Jewish people and the second coming of Jesus. And we pray that the Jewish people will repent in fulfillment of trumpets, that they'll believe in Jesus the Messiah and be cleansed in fulfillment of the Day of Atonement, and rejoice when King Jesus will once again dwell in Jerusalem in fulfillment of tabernacles. So that's, that's coming. That's what it means for them, that they're going to they're gonna turn, they're going to repent and turn and believe. But is it just going to happen magically, supernaturally? God's going to do it? I mean, he's going to do it, right? But we have a role to play in this. We don't just sit back. How's Israel going to repent and believe in Jesus as his Messiah? Well, we have a calling and we have a role as Gentile Christians in this prophetic plan to restore Israel. So I... Um, I want to share, close with a brief video. Next slide. This video is, uh, it's going to explain some of what we're talking about. Um, this is where I'm focusing in ministry now. It's called Host Israelis. And I think I want to propose this as one potential way that we can be involved and be part of what God is doing to restore Israel, the Jewish people, to himself. So let's watch. Okay, let's say you get it. You get that God has a plan. That God's plan is to bring blessings to all the families of the earth through the nation of Israel. The blessing of the scriptures, Jewish. The blessing of the Savior, Jewish. The blessing of salvation, Jewish. As Jesus is recorded saying in John chapter 4, for salvation is from the Jews. Speaking of Jesus, you may even get it that his second coming is somehow related to Israel's spiritual awakening, according to Psalm 67, Zechariah 12, and Matthew 23. Let's say that you love Jesus, that you long for his return. And if his return is triggered by Israel's spiritual awakening, according to the Bible, you want to be part of making that happen. But how? I hope you're sitting down in your home because that's precisely where you can contribute to the salvation of Israel, in your home. You may not believe what I'm about to say, but it's true nonetheless that a movement has begun among thousands of believers just like you, a movement that involves hosting Israelis in your home. According to Israeli research, 
40,000 Israeli young adults leave Israel every year and travel the world for about six months. They will have just completed their mandatory military service. They're hurting, questioning. Many are feeling lost and in need of direction. They're in a formative season of life. They're seeking experiences that may somehow answer life's most important questions. In this in-between space, they are uniquely open to considering the messiahship of Jesus. Now enter you. Your home is open, your heart is open, and you're inviting Israelis to enter both. This openness transforms them. It provokes them. Why? Because God said it would. Romans chapter 11, verse 11. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. Did you catch it? One of the responsibilities that comes with your salvation is that you make Israel envious of your life in Messiah. So here's a quick review. God has a plan. He blesses the nations with salvation through Israel. The redeemed nations provoke Israel to jealousy. Israel returns to her Messiah and Messiah returns to the earth. We invite you to join the thousands of believers who are wooing Israel to her Messiah through the simple ministry of hospitality. You were made for this. So host, host Israelis, um, I'm a missionary. God's a missionary. We're really, we're all, we're all missionaries. God's heart is to reach the lost, right? And um, uh, I was serving in New York. They helped to plant a Messianic Jewish congregation, a place for Jewish believers to worship and grow in their faith as Jewish believers. I did a lot of street evangelism, campus ministry, every way I can try to try to try to strive to make connections and engage with the Jewish community. Uh, and then I heard about a Christian hospitality network. We signed up, and we were the only house in all of New York, me and my wife, for kids. And we had a, God gave us, blessed us with a little guest room. We had a little 700-square-foot house, but we had a little guest room. And as I, I hope you caught it, um, there's this phenomenon of Israeli travelers. They, they do their mandatory army service. And then uh, it's, it's probably well over 40,000 every year who travel. And a lot of them go to, to New Zealand, Australia, India, South America. And they go backpacking. They go to see the sites. And they're, they're open and they're in spiritual mode. If, if, you imagine, if you remember when you were 19, 20 years old, that's how old they are. And they're open to new experiences. And um, it's an amazing opportunity. And a lot of them... They come, to the, they come to the United States. They want to see Hollywood, L.A., New York. But they want to see all these beautiful national parks. And uh, I think this area is going to be a hot spot with all the trails and the outdoor activities. Um, so of all the things I've done in Jewish ministry, I think this is the most powerful. Just to simply open my home, uh, open my heart, and give Israelis a free place to stay as they're traveling for one, two, three nights. And so we hosted uh, a couple dozen Israelis over two years. They were coming to New York, and they'd stay with us. And um, they, they know that they're staying with Christians. They know that we love Israel and Jewish people. Uh, they know that we're doing this for free. It's a gift. It's a blessing. Uh, 
And so when they show up, it's, it's instant connection, instant open doors to just share the Lord with them because they want to know, who are you? Why do you do this? Why do you care? What do you believe? They're away from home. They're away from all the stressors there. They're traveling cross-cultural. They want to know about America and Americans and Christians. And why do you, you know, they might even go to church with you um, to get an experience. So I just think it's an amazing opportunity that God's put before us. And um, I think it's part of his plan. It's simple. It's powerful. And we, do, we may have a calling to go to the nations and to go far away. Or we may have a calling to stay put and open our homes uh, to really cross-cultural missions right in our home. So that's, that's one thing I want to put before you as an opportunity. And if you're, uh, can we throw the website up if that's possible? If you're interested, just we can talk afterwards, but we do have a website up now, hostisraelis.com. Uh, you can learn more there, get some answers to questions, and you could apply. Um, if this sounds appealing to you, but you're not in a place to host or you don't have the room or whatever, but you know somebody else who you think they would love this, they would be perfect for this, uh, put me in touch with them. I want to, I really would like to connect with them and, uh, find some good Christian hosts all over this, you know, Reno, Tahoe, this beautiful area. So, um, so I think God's going to really use this to, to bless Israel and to, to reach a lot of Israelis. So um, you can, again, I have a sign-up sheet in the back there. I've got some books and things for you to take a look at and um, answer any questions that this might have provoked for you. So I hope we learned some things. I'm going to close now in, in prayer and uh, we'll continue to worship the Lord. Abba, Father, I thank you again for this time together to dig into your word. I thank you, God, for the richness of the Jewish roots of our faith and the heritage that you've grafted us into as Gentiles. You've grafted us in. You've called us by name. And it's by grace through faith that we've come into the covenant, the new covenant through the Messiah, your son, King Jesus. And Lord, we are indebted to you and we're indebted to uh, the Jewish people who brought this message to us, the Jewish apostles. And Lord, would you um, just give us your heart for, for Israel and the Jewish people, that we would return the favor and return the blessing by bringing the good news of Messiah back to them, that Messiah has come and that he's coming again. And I pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit and open the eyes of, of, uh, of your people, the Jewish people, that they would look upon Jesus and recognize he, he is ours. He is the promised one. And he loves us. He died for us. And that he wants relationship with us. And we pray, Lord, for the day that all Israel will be saved. And cry out those words from Isaiah 53. We pray you bless my brothers and sisters and their family, their ministries. Pray your blessing upon this church. Uh, that this church would shine your light and make an impact here locally uh, for your name's sake. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.